The Vincast Australia's premier wine podcast now has its first official uh, sponsor or partner, uh, and that is Different Drop, uh, which, if you haven't heard of it, is a kind of a new online wine retailer. Uh, a couple of guys in Sydney, passionate about unique and innovative wines from around Australia, from lots of different boutique producers, and in fact, uh, a lot of previous guests of the show, including Brash Higgins, Unico Zello, um, Luke Lambert, you'll, you name it, you'll find it on the Different Drop website. Uh, they've got lots of they, they're identifying lots of hard to get you know artisan kind of wines not the kind of wines you you, you know are likely to see a lot of uh, at uh, the big retailers so uh, if you want to find out more i do suggest going to differentdrop.com uh, and why not put together a mixed pack of interesting wines that uh, that appeal to you or that you've been kind of dying to find or even if there's something you specifically want they might not have they might be able to source it for you uh, and they can ship it to you within a couple of days um, when you are actually at checkout for your first purchase if you put in the voucher code vincast vino uh, then you will actually get a 25 dollar uh, discount off your first order over a hundred dollars so um did get in get in contact with you guys at differentdrop.com uh, and you can actually find them on twitter as well at different drop uh, and help these guys and help the podcast On episode 53 of the Vincast, I chat with Hunter Smith, the man behind Franklin Estate, the fantastic Riesling producer in the Franklin River region of Western Australia, and also the man behind Riesling Down Under. I also answer the first Ask the Wino question about off-dry Riesling in Australia, and I also talk about what your epiphany wines were and ask you another question at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. Hello there, Vincasters, and welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Guestbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino, and it has been a pretty awesome week. Um, it was, there was a great response to last week's episode with uh, Tess Brown. Thank you very much for all those who listened and uh, and sent me feedback and and. and told me that they've been enjoying the podcast of course i always love getting feedback and um if you can spare some time i would really appreciate you uh, jumping onto the itunes page for the vincast or the podcast app on your iphone and for you to leave a rating and review as it really does uh, help me out in terms of getting feedback but also uh, in terms of growing the podcast now, uh, you would have remembered from last week, I actually asked you what your epiphany wine was, uh, the wine that uh, solidified you as a, a wine lover or uh, cemented your career path in the wine industry, if indeed you uh, do work in the wine industry. And, uh, and I've got a couple of responses. Um, Oz Wine Guy on uh, Twitter, uh, otherwise known as Alex Russell, uh, told me that it was the 1998 Darrenberg Football Shiraz, which did it for him because uh, it was the first time that he could identify flavors and the specific mclaren vale tannins uh, and it was quite an eye-opener for him uh, georgie uh, davidson brown also got in contact and she told me that uh, her wine was a 2009 william fevre premier Cru chablis which uh, which she enjoyed with some friends uh, at the supper club here in melbourne 
at about two o'clock in the morning. So uh, I'm amazed that she could remember it. But she said that when she tasted it, she died a little inside. Uh, and Ben Knight, a.k.a. Ben and Wine on Twitter, just said that I dreamt of the taste of a wine. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, um, I'm not sure if it means before he even tasted it, he dreamt of it. But uh, thank you guys, obviously, for getting in contact. Uh, and I've, of course, I've mentioned, I think, before, uh, the wine for me was the 1997 Yeringberg Pinot Noir from the Yarra Valley, which I enjoyed with my family uh, at my sister's 21st birthday dinner at Ezard here in Melbourne. Now, I've also got um, my first Ask the Wino question. Uh, it was actually based on uh, a wine, uh, a picture of a wine that I Instagrammed uh, during the week um, when I was over in WA recently. Uh, caught up with a friend of the show, Old Mate Wine, who uh, gave me a bottle of his off-dry Riesling, um, which came from the Franklin River in the WA, and uh, had about 33 grams of residual sugar and about 9 point something um, grams of uh, tea or titratable acidity uh, so not sweet not quite dry it's somewhere in the middle and uh, Hugh Evans obviously friend, uh, f- f- former guest and also um, follower of the show asked what um, you know if there was a resurgence in off dry Riesling in Australia and I think it's not so much a resurgence as you know it's it's kind of got a bit of a following but in my opinion, the the sweeter Rieslings in the past were not quite off try. I'm not really sure. It's probably a little bit before my time. But, um, you know, the, the international brands of like Blue Nun, for example, I think came in a little bit sweeter. Uh, and then in reaction to people wanting dry styles, people went completely dry. Uh, and, and that kind of – and the association with sweet – and and Riesling kind of ruined it for Riesling for a long time. And so it's really interesting to sort of see the quality of um, just dry Rieslings improving. Lots more people um, drinking German and Austrian Rieslings and Rieslings from here in Australia, of course. But also people getting interested in the off-dry Rieslings. Now, of course, uh, another wonderful producer of uh, of dry Rieslings uh, and dry Rieslings as well is Franklin Estate, a producer in the Franklin River region of Western Australia. And um, coincidentally, my guest for this week's episode is Hunter Smith, uh, whose family obviously established uh, Franklin Estate. And um, and so when I was over in WA, I caught up with him and we had a good chat about uh, about his particular part of the world and how much he loves Riesling enough to uh, start the event for the Franklin Estate International Riesling Tasting, which is now Riesling Down Under. So uh, I do hope you enjoy the episode, uh, and I'll see you on the other side. Hunter, thank you very much for uh, for making some time for to record uh, an episode of the Vincast, and obviously thank you so much for your hospitality and welcoming me, welcoming me here up to uh, beautiful Franklin River. It's uh, quite cold, but it is a beautiful, beautiful day here today. Yeah, thanks for coming by. It's always good to have someone from the other side of the country come past and say hello, so thanks for coming. It's, uh, as you said yesterday, I think uh, Isolation Ridge is a fairly apt name and, uh, you know, we always welcome people to make the effort because it's no, uh, not just around the corner, that's for sure. <laughs> but I do actually um, heartily recommend people make the trip because it's a, it is a beautiful part of the world and, and you, uh, I don't think you can truly appreciate it unless you come here and you find out what makes this place so special, um, particularly you know for the wines. But tell me, Hunter, um, I usually start each episode by asking my guest uh, what their... The, the initial interaction with wine was that kind of... that you remember, that you noticed something special in wine that made you want to kind of that yes that's what i want to do 
Yeah, it was it was a funny one, really. My father was a grape grower in um, South Australia, but um, he moved to Perth with his family, and so and they started. My mother and father started broadacre farming, and but uh, he always, you know, having grown up in the Riverland, he always had a love for wine, and you know, really very much from the f my first memories were drinking Bordeaux and and claret and various wines as a young child that wine was always on the table so I always remember it being conversational and very you know very much part of a meal and then uh, probably our first experiences of being taken into wineries was you know down at um, a Goundry Wines when they were a very small operation down in Denmark townsite itself and helping my father bottle by hand, you know, one barrel of wine that he'd made. We did that for a number of years as small kids growing up. And then really um, as we planted vines in the 80s and, um, you know, the pruning and, you know, all those sort of things as a teenager didn't appeal so greatly and, you know, just farm work, just, you know, it was farm work. And, uh, and that, That's a pretty... Um, familiar story I know you know lots of second third generation probably more second generation um, winemakers at some point kind of wanted to to buck the trend and, and sort of said oh, I want to do something differently this yeah. is this is not fun work yeah I mean a good a good winter pruning usually sorts you out um, <laughs> makes you want to think about all the other things in life that are possible so no, I started working outside of the wine industry for a few years after leaving school and then did a business degree and did other things, you know, and travelled a little bit. But it was really probably through my travels internationally that I just found myself sort of um, being drawn towards wine regions and and uh, got offered a job in a cellar and away I went and and really, you know, fell in love with the with wine again so that was sort of what drew me back yeah. so tell me about the, the the travels that you did that that you know what what was it that kind of appealed to you and and, and made you connect with wine again yeah i mean I, you know i was always you know a fond uh drinker of wine and obviously it was in our you know very much part of our family business so it wasn't a total disconnect um over those sort of years but I think, um, you know, getting to Europe and just seeing um, how passionate those guys were and um, how unique some of those sites were and, um, you know, the combination of people and place was um, really fascinating and, and I, I found it really alluring. And I suppose that was a little different to some of the more commercial operations you tended to see, um, bigger operations that you tend to see in Australia. Was that particularly um, noticeable over here on the west? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, across Australia, really, I think, um, you know, we, they were boom times in a way in the wine industry and we saw a lot of people, you know, planting a lot of hectares and, and building their wine brands and businesses very quickly. And it was just very refreshing to get into Europe and see tiny estates making a good living out of doing something very passionate and uh, 
it wasn't so much about getting bigger and bigger is better and 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 that really appealed to me and I thought you know that resonated in probably the a business model that we could duplicate here at Franklin Estate. And um, did you have the opportunity to sort of do some work in, in some of these estates over in Europe? Yeah, so we uh, I ended up having done a few vintages now, but, um, you know, um, Salomon in Austria and, and Breuer and in Germany um, were, you know, really two memorable harvest, you know, visit or, you know, working visits and, um, yeah, vineyards, et cetera, around... Um, in some areas of France, and so you know, it was pretty widespread, and I I thought that was um, it was just good to see, you know, a global perspective over a few years of travelling. Yeah, did you um, particularly enjoy sort of the the lifestyle of of you know, living and working over there, and 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 the kind of the com- camaraderie of um, of being part of the the vintage team? Oh, yeah, I mean that's always appealing. I mean language was always a barrier i struggle with english let alone <laughs> other languages so um you know you know again i apologize for not bringing over my tra- my east coast translator <laughs> but um you know we yeah we we had a great time in the cellars and um you know with the with the romanians or the poles that were working in europe in the vineyards or you know the guys in the cellars themselves and yeah, we. I I just really loved, um, you know, probably a lot of those principals that headed up the business. They they just had an amazing passion for what they were doing and a and a deep deep sense of their land and how they did it. And I think agriculture's always been a big part of what I've done, whether it's you know vines or not, or wine or not. But you know, you know. I think that's what's really driven us as a winery towards organics and, uh, you know, working with nature a lot more than we probably historically used to do. And, well, you know, just building that depth of knowledge has been a real um, draw card for me in, you know, in the pursuit of wine. So, so your father was a, a grape grower? Well, my father's father was a grape grower and um, he grew up on a vineyard in the Riverland. And so, yeah, he, the in in the 1950s and uh, late 1950s, um, a lot of Western Australia was only just starting to be opened up for agriculture and there were some opportunities to move from South Australia. And my mother's family actually moved from New South Wales to Western Australia Um and both, you know, their families, they moved as quite young children, but both those families came over to Western Australia on the opportunity of opening up, you know, farming land on the uh, what they call the war service settlement blocks. And so they moved to Western Australia and both, both sides of the family went off farming um, and my parents grew up in Albany and, and Perth. So, I mean, Albany's a, a bit of an isolated spot as well down the coast. Um, what, what sort of farming were they doing? Yeah, they were out, a little out of Albany, but they were broadacre farming as well. But Can you explain what broadacre farming is? Yeah, so, you know, typically wheat, um, sheep grazing, um, wheat and, you know, various cereals, barley, 
um, production. And and so my mother's side of the family still have a large property out, um, you know, out there, and they still farm sheep, um, fat lambs, and and wheat and canola, barley, etc. So, yeah, that's and so you know, as you can see, you know, through our family history, you know, agriculture's been a strong part of it. And the wine was was more because of your your, your grandfather rather than and that that kind of appreciation of wine yeah. was through your father and then to you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, yeah, I think you know it's um, you know it's hard to sort of not be influenced by what your family does and and how they enjoy life. And you know, my parents have been very lucky. My parents have been very passionate about you know, food and wine, and, um, you know, that's been largely self-taught by them. You know, they've travelled a lot, and um, but, you know, my father's father really was, you know, a farmer, you'd say, producing grapes for one of the big companies in the Riverlands, so he actually didn't really um, have a connection to wine itself as a finished product. He didn't make wine, he just simply um, produced grapes, um, for uh, one of the large wineries down the road so yeah um so but you know it's you know that influence that you you get from that and um you know being uh you know being a small you know being quite young and sitting at the table and enjoying wine with your parents is you know obviously not drinking so much but you know certainly as a conversational point and the smells and you know, being just introduced to it as a young age, it's hard to then not, uh, you know, not pursue something like that. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny, last night, um, one of your daughters um, at the dinner table um, grabbed one of the, the, grabbed your glass of wine as you were away on a phone call, and um, and I thought that she was about to just sort of identify with amazing things, but then she says, smells like sweaty socks. <laughs> yeah, no, there's some good one-liners that come out for sure. Um, I've been, we've been working on it. <laughs> it obviously needs a bit more refining, but no, the, there's plenty of time for that. Yeah, exactly, and you know, but no, we're encouraging of them, you know, smelling the wines and and even just sort of um, as we talk about the bottles of wine that are sitting on the table, you can tell that they're quite intrigued about what we're talking about and I think that's you know it's a nice way to think about um, f you know food and wine and uh, what it means to us as a culture so yeah so growing up um, you know as a as a farming family we did you from an early age get kind of uh, an understanding and appreciation for uh, just in terms of food knowing where it was coming from and 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 kind of making something from a basically a raw material into a finished product yeah i think um you know mum and dad you know when you live out here you have to have a pretty decent garden if you want to eat fresh and you know they they were big gardens and still are and so you know growing things and harvesting things you know we were always you know every day after school and uh you know we'd come home and you'd be going out to you know, get the wood to light the fire and go and get the strawberries from the strawberry patch and go and get the peas from the garden and, you know, picking pumpkins or digging up potatoes. And, you know, that's uh, that was always very much a part of our life. And, 
something that we're trying to um, encourage with our children as well. And do you think that that in some way influenced your decision to, to move towards organic farming here at Franklin Estate? Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, it's such a accumulation of different things, but it, it to me it just made absolute sense. I mean, my parents were very much 90% of the way there with the style of farming they were doing, and we, um, you know, when it came to vineyards, um, and we, you know, I just, it just makes sense. I think, you know, there's no massive loss of production and quality um, from what we saw around the place, around the world. Um, the people that were farming organically were making really exciting, very vibrant wines. And um, we just thought, well, let's, uh, you know, we're pretty much producing organically, so let's um, do the final steps and, and and you know, see what happens. And, you know, I think it has become very exciting for us and you know, the wine industry, I think everyone's well aware that's in the wine industry. It's been a pretty tough gig for the last sort of five to ten years. Um, but, you know, for us, it's much more than that. We get a lot of pleasure and excitement out of, you know, um, pushing ourselves with our knowledge and thirst for knowledge of, you know, our soils and our uh, microbiology in our soils and how that translates into the wines we're making and you know we're really excited about where we're heading and you know the exciting thing about it is that you know we feel we're only you know just starting on that journey so you know the sky's the limit as to where we end up and that's you know wine sales and the commercial side of wine and all those sort of things aside um, you know we we can just really see that we're progressing nicely with the wines we're making and very passionate about the wines we're making and you know you get all that you know it's a whole package and that's that's been you know really really exciting for us. So um, when you kind of came back and said yep wine this is what I want to do um, what was what what did you start doing to kind of move towards that 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 goal? Yeah it was funny because I actually got home and I thought I'll do um, I'll help my parents with a vintage only and then keep moving on and going and seeing some other things and work you know in wine but um, outside of the family business I suppose and got home and just saw um, how much of an opportunity was there and what could be done straight away and all those exciting prospects and decided to stay on and and be a part of what was really you know has proved to be a, a great journey and you know mum and dad were well on the way already to making it a success story and and it was just complementing that and working within the family structure to sort of keep on doing it so you know it, it was sort of accidental in a way um, that I you know ended up staying on you know working full-time in the in the business as early as I did but um, yeah it's, it's been a great journey. What led your parents to to planting a vineyard here in Franklin River? Yeah, they, um, I mean, as I was saying before, Dad had, um, you know, having grown up on vineyards, he he um, had this passion for wine and was making a barrel of wine down at Goundries in Denmark, as I was saying, and, and he did a few little vintages around locally with a couple of small producers at the time, but it was... Um, 
a trip to France with Bill Hardy of Hardy Wines um, in the early 80s that really, I suppose, um, you know, there was a lot of encouragement from, you know, colleagues, well, now colleagues in the industry, but people in the industry then to say, you know, you'd grow, grow grapes really well down there. And um, they started looking into it more and more after they returned from a trip to France and Bordeaux in particular. And, uh, yeah, got very excited by the prospect that, in fact, you know, grapes could grow well here. And there was a bit of proof from a few small vineyards locally. And um, and uh, Harold, they, they found a report from Harold Olmo from 1956 saying that the banks of the Franklin River would be an ideal place for grape growing so they planted you know after a few more trips back to France and doing vintages and working over there they decided in 88 that they'd plant vines and that's how they sort of started. Um, and what kind of influenced the choices of uh, particularly what kind of varieties to plant? Yeah I mean you know look I don't think my father has no bones about um, saying that you know, the reason he planted Chardonnay was because uh, the ag department at the time and everyone in the industry said we should plant Chardonnay. Um, I think everyone wanted to plant Chardonnay yeah. back in those days. And it's been an amazing success story for Australia. But, you know, I think we've evolved from that now. And Chardonnay, you know, f- still finds a nice little home in our portfolio in a very small production. Um, but, you know, we've seen that Riesling does grow very well in the area Shiraz as well it's a cool climate but um, you know whilst uh, Australia's had much success with bigger bigger uh, examples of Australian Shiraz this is a very cool climate uh, Shiraz and is finding a really nice uh, niche and then um, my parents planted the Bordeaux varietals so Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, Malbec and Petit Verdot just to see, um, you know, their aim was to make a flagship um, red blend. And, you know, today that's uh, mostly Cabernet Franc with a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon and Malbec, Petit Verdot, um, less so Merlot. But, you know, it's a ever-evolving thing. And, and um, you know, we're now embarking on some new varietals and to to see whether they work in the area and I think you know being a new we've got to remember we are a new region so you know we've got to expect that there'll be some things we come across as um, as the years go by and to keep exploring and that's you know part of the excitement of grape growing. So um, in, in talking with uh, a number of people over in Margaret River um, earlier this week um, and obviously <clears throat> and obviously this is um, you know, it's not 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 new for me, but mm. um, I can imagine that the perception of Western Australia, um, I mean, apart from, I mean, it's it's an Australian perception in general, I guess, is that you know this is hot, dry, flat, um, whereas Great Southern in general, but particularly here in in Franklin River, is anything but hot. Is it's you know this this beautiful vineyard is not flat. Um, can you explain to people what's, what's, what's the climate here that makes it uh, ideal for growing the cool climate varieties? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Franklin River's quite special in that it's probably one of the furthest inland of the, of the regions um, in Western Australia. So typically, 
you know, vines are grown around the coast from Margaret River down to Albany. And, um, you know, there's a few regions inland and, and a couple further inland from us even, but typically we are, you know, considered um, as much continental, you know, where a lot of a lot of those regions are, you know, very maritime influenced. So we get very cold nights um, and warm days during the growing season, but, you know, right through the year, very cold nights. And I think that really helps retain a lovely line of natural acidity and natural fruit freshness in the wines. And, you know, they're elegant wines. And I think, you know, we've, it's taken us a few years to, I suppose, um, build the courage and, and know what wine styles we want to make and how we want to make them to really celebrate that fact that they are a very unique style um, for Western Australia but also for Australia and um, you know celebrating that fact that we can produce wines with very little um, uh, I suppose additions or you know it's a very natural example if you like without you know wanting to pursue the meaning of the word natural but yeah I, I think you know it's very effortless um, to come up with some very uh, elegant stylish styles of wine if that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> um, what what about rainfall do you is, is yeah. it an area that gets much rainfall yeah I mean it drops off quickly from the coast so down at Denmark and Warpole directly to the south of us we get you know over a meter of rainfall 1100 mils um, and you know as we're only sort of 60 70 kilometers inland and we already are at you know 700 millimeters and then from us going further inland it drops off even more um, so it is finding those really nice little pockets and you know the great southern generally as a larger you know region um, you know, our vineyards are very um, dispersed, if you like. There's just little vineyards um, with a fair bit of distance between them. And I think that highlights to me how clever you have to be to get the right mix of, you know, rainfall, soil types, hillside, slope, you know, all these little things that sort of accumulate to become you know the the package and I think you know the vineyard the good vineyard sites are really going ahead and I think you know it's important to get you know rainfalls are a very critical part of that um, but yeah you know it's uh, we're seeing you know rainfall um, vary more so probably now in the last 10 years than we have historically and you know climate change is certainly something that we're um, listening to if you think about our vineyard practices today and what we're doing in the vineyard it's changed quite significantly from what we were doing 10 and 15 years ago and you know that's just listening to your vineyard and seeing what fruits coming in and how it's coming in to you know adapt to change. And that's, so do you, do you think the working organic is is helping a lot with that? Oh, absolutely I mean we you know our vineyard Isolation Ridge Vineyard is, you know, 90% dry grown. Uh, there's a couple of blocks of varietals that, um, you know, aren't 
uh, you know, we do put a little bit of irrigation water on, but, you know, 90% of the vineyard is dry grown and that's quite incredible. You know, there's a lot of producers around us that don't do that. Um, and I think the organics, yeah, it's it's a lot of what you're doing is about building soil structure and carbon levels and all the different things that allow for good healthy vines. And, um, you know, if we get rainfall during the growing season, we we celebrate it. You know, we don't, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's um, a risk for disease and things. But, you know, we get um, such high temperature variations and, you know, disease is such a minimal thing that, you know, what, we're, what we do enjoy is that extra little bit of rainfall. Um, that just helps, you know, freshen the vines up and keeps them going. And we know we've got the soil structure to maintain a lot of that moisture for a good amount of time. So... Yeah, it's very important, I think. Tell me a little bit about the soils. Yeah, so the ironstone, what we call ironstone gravel, and the locals call coffee rock. It's a red ironstone um, conglomerate. um, And that's, uh, you know, that sits over loam and and then clay. And that, uh, the iron in the soil, I suppose means that the clay is quite red underneath as well and um, it's a a lateritic sort of soil if you like so basically that's um, basically it's the ironstone gravel rock that sits up on top of the ridges and that hasn't been washed away purely because of its um, you know heavy rock nature um, so you get these ironstone ridges or hillsides and typically the vineyards throughout the region are planted on top of those. Um, people look for a little bit of elevation um, and we're, you know, we're sitting um, you know, 300, uh, 350 metres above sea level and you know, that doesn't sound like a lot but Western Australia is, you know, as you said earlier, you know, a fairly flat um, place and so you know this southwest corner of the state where you do get a little bit of elevation it does go a long way in in uh, giving the vines a bit of a view and you know capturing a bit of that nice wind to help um, decrease you know um, vine vigor a little but also disease um, and all those sort of things that so um, yeah hillsides are important a little bit of elevation yeah and since um, going full conversion across to organics, have you sort of found that the way you're making the wines has evolved a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Chardonnay is probably our classic example where, um, you know, we've seen that wine in particular and it's probably a true true across all of our varietals. But I think Chardonnay stands out for me as being, you know, we wanted to do individual barrel fermentations in their barrel on a wild yeast and when when we first were doing it we were only getting a 20 to 30 percent you know um uninoculated sort of strike rate in our barrels and you know we're seeing that change now to absolutely 100 percent year in year out of you know as the juice warms up in its barrel it as soon as it gets to 10 degrees we get nice strong fermentations just start and you know that that tells me that we're seeing some really exciting evolution of of healthy bacteria and healthy organisms right through our vineyard and that you know that'll be coming in with our 
with our juices, you know, with the grapes. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, much, much better ferments, better wines, more energetic wines. And so, you know, that's, that changes the way you think about it. And we're fermenting more Riesling these days without inoculation, um, as with the red wines. Um, but, you know, we're, we're still very open-minded about it all and we've started measuring the way we're, you know, our soil protozoas and all sorts of things to just make sure what we are seeing is actually there in, in um, science as well. So Riesling is a, is a very important part of the Franklin Estate story and, um, and obviously Riesling is not necessarily associated with with Western Australia, the way Chardonnay and Cabernet is. Yeah. Um, and obviously you've been working very hard to promote Riesling, but just Riesling as a variety. Yeah. And that was kind of, I'm assuming, the, the reason behind starting the Franklin Estate International Riesling Tasting? Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, at, at the time, I think Riesling generally around Australia was copying a bit of a bad name and, and uh, you know, Mum and Dad, I think, had three vintages of Riesling sort of in the shed and not knowing what to really do with it because people just didn't understand what they were trying to do with, you know, good dry Rieslings out of um, Western Australia. So, yeah, it was. I mean, you know, we rallied some great colleagues from, you know, around Australia and internationally and started the um, Franklin Estate International Riesling tasting and now that's evolved into Riesling Down Under which is held every three years in in either Melbourne or Sydney and you know it's been a great platform to really bring some awareness to Riesling and 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 what Riesling is today and not what it used to be Um, but you know throughout the Great Southern there's some fantastic examples being made of you know um, fabulous Rieslings um, dry mostly um, some off-dry examples, but mostly dry, and they're they're delicious. You know, very elegant styles of riesling that um, have a real place in um, have a real place in the Australian sort of wine scene. Now, obviously, um, certainly in 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 Melbourne, um, at least, uh, you are represented by uh, a, a company that obviously specialises in Riesling producers, you know, they, they probably have one of the most enviable portfolios of, of German Riesling producers. Uh, and, you know, obviously earlier this year, you know, I spoke with Tom Barry from Jim Barry Wines and Chloe Claire. And then whilst that tasting was running in Melbourne, I sat down with uh, Johannes Hasselbach from Gundelok. Yeah. Um, but you've, you've been able to put together a pretty amazing group of people that are uh, really championing the Riesling variety, but you've also, you know, in the past had people like Jancis Robinson coming out and 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 talking about the um the, the the great the greatness of Riesling. Yeah, I mean we've we've been super lucky to work with people like Sellerhand, and they've been very passionate, you know, as you say about the Riesling story as well. And and so we, you know, working with those guys, um, you know, Sellerhand have been a really important part of encouraging their great producers to come out to Australia and show a lot of Australians, um, you know, in the trade and and consumers, you know, what is happening in the world of Riesling every three years. And so those guys have been great in supporting what we've been doing and they continue to be, you know, be exactly that. Um, and, yeah, look, I mean, 
I think uh, everyone has a common goal and when you get that all in one room then you can, you know, it seems only natural and quite easy to um, pick up the phone to people like Jancis Robinson and other, you know, really significant wine commentators to come and help us celebrate. So, yeah, it's been a great, you know, it's it's been a great ride. And there's always excitement around um, the release of the single vineyard Rieslings um, and I think, you know, there's, there's some more exciting things happening here in Franklin River or Franklin Estates. Um, are you willing to talk about some of the exciting things you got planned? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, it's, it's just one of the, you know, we... You know, you just can't sit still, so it's always evolving for us. Um, you know, as we're talking about with the organics, you know, we're starting to see things, better balances in wines, higher natural acidities. Um, you know, so there's a lot there that we can um, then then bring into the winery and explore further. And the way we're making our wines, you know, different times on lees, different fermentation vessels, all those sort of things. So we're... We're really excited about the future. We've got, yeah, a number of little Riesling projects going in-house. Whether they're all commercial reality or not, um, you know, we'll wait and see. But uh, certainly, um, you know, uh, the nature of the game is to keep, you know, keep evolving, keep exploring. And that's been um, good fun. And uh, last night over dinner, we uh, very generously opened up a, a bottle of the 2003 Isolation Ridge. And as soon as I put that on Instagram, someone actually said, oh, wow, I'd love to get, you know, an opportunity to taste some old Franklin Estate Riesling, but they're just so yummy when they're young, I drink them too quickly. Um, so I think we, we, we kind of said, oh, well, you're just going to have to come up and, and, <laughs> and taste it here. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, we, we've kept a nice library and, you know, we're probably a few years away still from um you know we've kept a good amount back of uh i think it's seven or eight year old now so we've got another couple of years before we do a 10-year release and so you know we're encouraging um you know just encouraging people to see how they well we're keeping it i suppose to show people how they really evolve because i think it is um they're, they're very unique in their own way um and yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is drunk too young and very young. So, you know, hopefully we can prove to people that they do age very nicely for 10 and 20 years and more and um, that the wines are very much worth seeking out and, and cellaring. And have you got uh, any events anywhere coming up that you'd like to kind of plug? Well, um, yeah, we've actually got a round of um, wine dinners we want to do through each of our major capital cities and so that's um, coming up and those details we haven't quite finalised a few of them but the details are on our website and will be expanded upon as we get a little closer but they're looking like um, late April that'll uh, late August sorry that'll happen um, and then yeah beyond that we're still sort of recovering from raising down under <laughs> so yeah no we, we've got always we've got um, we do an annual flowering of the vine lunch down at the winery here and that's always a good weekend to um, make the effort to come down and see us because we get a couple of guest chefs from Perth and and we do a major tasting of a few Franklin Estate wines um, before we have a big lunch, sit down for a big long table lunch. So, um, But springtime's always a great time to see us and that's in November, so come down and 
and see us then. But yeah, always plenty going on. So keep an eye on the website. So website's just franklinestate.com.au. Yes, that's the one. Yep. And what about on social media? How can people kind of keep in touch with you that way? Yeah, Twitter at Franklin Estate and um, Instagram. Uh, Steph looks after. I can't remember exactly what the Instagram is, but it's Franklin Estate. Yeah, is it? There you go. <laughs> um, and Facebook, and um, you know, we're pretty. Uh, yeah, we're not. Um, we, we're not all over our social media, but we do um, try to keep it pretty updated. So yeah, keep in touch with us that way. It's great. But uh, obviously, thank you very much for uh, for making some time with me and and listeners. If you did enjoy this episode, you know you've got those social media um, outlets to to thank Hunter for his time and uh, obviously thank him for his wine. Yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, again, you know, great of you to come down and see us at Franklin Estate. So, yeah, it, it's it's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, and uh, hopefully again soon. Thanks, Hunter. Cheers. And as always, guys, thank you very much for listening to another episode of The Vincast. I have been James Kersbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Intrepid Wino. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at The Vincast. You'll find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Intrepid Wino. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel. You'll find me at Intrepid Wino. Um, but Always come to intrepidwino.com to um, find out the latest and uh, get every episode of the podcast and uh, read my back catalogue of different articles and tasting notes and whatnot. Uh, of course, I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Player FM. Uh, and if you do that, please do leave a rating and review. Let me know if you enjoy the podcast, if you'd like to hear from a particular uh, person or if you enjoyed a particular episode. Uh, if you enjoy um, some of the guests that I have on the podcast, do go to differentdrop.com where you should be able to find some of their wines. And remember that uh, your first purchase, make sure you are putting in Vincast Vino, the coupon, uh, to get $25 off your first order over $100. So my question for this week is, who is your favourite Western Australian wine producer? Obviously, I've had a couple of guests on recently, and there's going to be another one in a few weeks. Um, so I'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to hashtag AskTheWino if you'd like to hear me answer your question on the podcast. But until next time, bye. Bye.